I know that in October we talk about spooky things, but there is another holiday that I would really like to address. What is that? First of all, before Steve fusses at me, welcome to this week's edition of An Hour of Your Life. My name is Kim. And I am Steve. And I have a soapbox. Wait a second. Okay, what? Hammock. I have a hammock. Um, and I'm going to get in my hammock and tell you about a holiday that was just on uh, this past Saturday. Some of you are aware of what it is. The holiday is known as Sweetest Day. And maybe you spent your sweetest day cuddled up with your loved one in a hammock after you bought them flowers or chocolates or jewelry or whatever. But I learned something the other day and I I have decided to start a one woman crusade to go back to sweetest day's roots. Do you know? I mean, you know, because I told you the other day, but before I told you, did you know how sweetest day started? You told me. But did you know before that? No. Okay, so originally Sweetest Day started by a baker who had a whole bunch of leftover pastries and stuff. And so he donated them, like he gathered them all up and took them on one day to an orphanage and donated them to the orphan children. And somehow corporate America got a hold of the holiday and now it's this big, ridiculous thing. I would like to encourage everyone from next Sweetest Day forward, we should go back to the original concept of Sweetest Day. And on Sweetest Day, instead of just spending money on junk, you should go volunteer to Soup Kitchen or uh, take a meal to somebody, you know, like an infirm person, go visit somebody in a nursing home, go do something nice for somebody else instead of buying cards and flowers and all that nonsense. Well, I agree 100%. Okay. I'm going to get off my soapbox now. Let's Thank get on with time. this week's episode. <laughs> and do you know that vampires really didn't sleep in hammocks? I did not. I wasn't yeah. aware of their sleeping ha- habits. Okay. If you didn't guess, today's episode is, I, I don't want to say it's just about vampires. No, it's not. It's, because this yeah. year we're doing people, like real people that are spooky. Well, I have, you know, you say that, but I have read some books that... When we talk about zombies, you know, oh, we, we think about that. But yes. I, I have read some books during uh, during World War II where basically, while they may not be zombies like we know them, like Walking Dead type zombies, there 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 are there are zombies out there. I think not not in the supernatural yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Aaron Minkin covered it on Lore one episode about, um, like, there's a very famous one. Um, He was, like, he was in Haiti, and he was basically declared dead by his family, and then somebody dug him up and, like, used zombie powder, essentially. It's made from, like, um, blowfish, pufferfish, ground-up scales and, like, or uh, spikes and something else, and it, like, causes you to basically be catatonic. Yeah. Yeah. But, it's a really interesting story. But I'm, what I'm just saying, there are, there's evil out there. And oh, that's yeah. That's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. And as we talk about this, I am, and th- this episode is going to be about vampires, about Bram Stoker, 
and and things of this nature. But we're going to cover, I will cover a little bit later on, that there are people who have been inspired and do these vampires-type things Mm -hmm. from all the vampire lore. So while they may not be vampires in the supernatural fictional sense, there are people that are out there emulating and doing this type of stuff. I am looking forward to this show because we are not only covering Bram Stoker, but we're going to cover somebody else, too, who is legendary. And I confess that I don't know a ton about this person, but you know how I feel that, like, nobody is purely good or purely evil and that over time we tend to make legends of people and only skewer them to one side or the other. Pardon the pun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm really curious to see if there's any good in this person that we're going to talk about today. So. In today's episode, we're going to tell you about the story of a... I'm going to talk about the story of a real-life person. He's credited for creating an entire lore. His stories inspired one of the most terrifying characters in literature and drama, countless books and movies. His character has even inspired people to cross the limits of fiction, like I was just saying, and fantasy to real-life horror. And so we're going to be talking about the real-life guy... A guy named Vlad Dracula, better known as Vlad the Impeller. He was also known as Vlad the Three in his family, Vlad the Third in his family line. <laughs> Vlad the Three. His, now, his true story is as fearful and horrific as the characters he inspired. Oh, so he is all bad. It, well, listen, listen we, okay. we'll get all to right, that. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. He's responsible for, yeah, he's pretty bad. He's responsible for killing 80,000 people. 20,000 of his victims were impaled, hence the the nickname Vlad the Impeller. Vlad Dracula committed some of history's grisliest acts as a ruler in 15th century Wallachia. I think it's Wallachia. Wallachia, which is present-day Romania, and I may just say Romania from here on out. (laughs) Good idea. He's even said to dine among his impaled enemies and dip his bread in their blood. Oh, my. But while the stories of the real Dracula have um, probably and surely been embellished over the years, the true story of Vlad the Impeller is probably, arguably, much scarier than anything Bram Stoker could have dreamed up while creating his character, Count Dracula, who you will be covering. I I will be covering, um, and I'll be talking a little bit about Bram Stoker, but... um, and I don't know, I haven't read over Steve's notes. He hasn't really read over my notes, I don't think. But um, so those 80,000 people that Vlad Dracula or Dracula killed, I always thought that most of that was during wartime. Please save all questions to the end. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, we'll, 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 okay. We'll, cover, we'll cover all that okay. stuff. Okay, got it. Yeah. Um, we know that he was born sometime between 1428 and 1431, during a time of unrest in what is now Romania and present-day Romania. His mother, the queen, came from a Moldovian royal family, and his father was Vlad II Dracul. The surname Dracula translates to dragon and was given to Vlad II after his uh, induction into a Christian crusading order known as the Order of the Dragon. Hmm. Now, Vlad had two brothers, Mercier and Radu. Christians ruled over much of Europe, and Muslims ruled over the Ottoman Empire, and these two factions were at war. Romania's proximity to them meant that Dracul's territory was a site of constant territory. I mean, it was it was a battleground. But one he, army would come in, and one army would go out and 
It, it, it stayed in turmoil. Yep. He was on the side of the Christians, right? Well, we'll get we'll get to all because that. they the Christians were the one that gave him the order of the dragon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Politics and trickery were very much alive back back in the day <laughs> when uh, Vlad was running around in 1442. The Ottomans called for a diplomatic meeting with Vlad Dracul. This is the Vlad the Impaler's father. father. Okay. Yeah. So they they called for a meeting, thinking that he would use this opportunity to educate his younger sons in the art of diplomacy. Remember, he's the king, and he's trying to educate and oh, yeah. his kids. He took Vlad III and Radu to the meeting with him. They were little princesses after princes after all. <laughs> they were not princesses. Yeah. But once at the meeting, Dracul and his two sons were captured and held <sighs> hostage by the Ottoman diplomats instead. So proof that diplomacy doesn't work. Yeah, well, they had ulterior motives. The captors told him that he would be released, they would release him, but he had to leave his two sons. Dracul mm. thought about it and decided it was in the safest option for his family and agreed to leaving his boys oh, with with my them. gosh. So we've got abandonment issues right off the top. So, yeah, while being held captive, they were given lessons in science, philosophy, and the art of war. Mm. Now, were they mistreated or treated with dignity as sons of a ruling martyr? That's kind of debatable. It's hard to say, but I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more oh, about that a little bit later. You know what this reminds me of? The Blue Jacket legend. Yeah, kind of. Where, like, they allegedly kidnap the white guy and raise him as an Indian and, like... Go listen to that show. That's kind of what this reminds me of. Like, kidnap your uh, Stockholm Syndrome kind yeah. of a thing. Yeah. So, no one really knows how they were treated while they were being held captive. But, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'll talk a little bit more because there's some theories about what happened right mm. there. But it's hard to imagine in today's world, but that's just the way it was back in the day. When the little princes were being educated, things weren't going so well back home. A takeover or a coup orchestrated by the local warlords overthrew Dracul. So in 1447, Dracul Sr. was killed in the swamps behind his home. His oldest son was tortured, blinded, and buried alive. Oh, man. It was rough. In 1448, Vlad III, after the father's death, was freed after the, uh, the Ottoman Empire learned of his father's death, and he was returned to Romania. On his return, he took back the throne from Vladislav II, <laughs> the man who had taken over after his father's death. Vlad seceded, but after just a few months, the uh, Vladislav returned back and took back the throne. Okay, do you know where his other brother is? So No, he was tortured and blinded. I'm assuming he was killed. That was one, but then the other there was another brother that went with there, Vlad no, the Impaler to No record. I don't know of any Ooh, record of what happened to him. Weird. Okay. Yeah. But in 1456, Vlad III returned this time with an army in the support of Hungary and was able to take the throne back from Vladislav for the second time. Wow. Look, this is stuff that games of thrones. <laughs> As I'm reading this and learning about it, I, I games Game of Thrones came to mind to me. Yeah. With all this stuff going on. Yeah, oh, I can so, see it. Proving once again that truth can be stranger than fiction. Mm. The story goes that Vlad personally beheaded Vladislav on the battlefield. Cool. Back on his father's throne, his reign of terror started. Not because cool. he's he's in charge right now. Some historians speculate that uh, his family's horrific deaths were what turned Vlad III into Vlad Tepes, 
the original Roman Romanian for Vlad the Impaler. Some accounts say that Vlad was subjected to beatings and torture during his imprisonment under the Ottomans. This is what I was saying, but no one knows. There's just hearsay evidence. Yeah, especially... There's no documentation. I mean, it was in the 1400s. It's not like they really kept great records, I would think. And they were probably destroyed with all the war and everything. Oh, sure. As we mentioned earlier, it is really not really known how they were treated while they were being being held captive. But... They also speculate this may be where Vlad learned the tradition of impelling his enemies. Soon after he took back the throne, Vlad had enemies of his own to deal with. I guess that's just the price of fame and power. Mm. But uh, some in Romania thought his father, uh, Vladislav II, was the better leader. This caused uprisings in village across the entire region. I guess his kingdom or whatever. Mm-hmm. The returning monarch knew that he had to put his foot down and we would have to assert some sort of dominance over over the people to quell what was going on because he wanted to stay in charge and you know he'd learn how yeah. to be vicious. So what did he do? He decided to host a banquet oh, and invite nice. his opposition. Oh. Now it didn't take long before the fest- festivities turned bloody. Yeah. Vlad's descending guests were stabbed to death and their still twitching bodies oh. were impaled on spikes. I love the so detail. So now I'm wondering again, I'm Game of Thrones, is this where they got the idea of the Red Wedding? Ooh. Did it, did it inspire this? I don't know. Maybe. But it sounds like it. That's what I George was thinking. George R.R. Martin, I'm sure, listens to our show, and he should write into us and tell us if this is where he got the idea for the Red Wedding. I don't know. If he didn't... Plagiarism. It, it was obvious to me. Yeah. According to one legend, Vlad Dracula enjoyed dipping his bread in the blood of his victims but the authenticity of that count has really never been confirmed. Like we said at the beginning, mm. just don't know. There's yeah. a lot. There's a lot of embellishment here. Now it starts. Vlad's tyrant or Vlad's, Vlad's violent <laughs> reputation only grew as he defended his throne and devastated his enemies time and again with the grisliest methods imaginable. Now known as Vlad the Impaler, he was without question. The brutal ruler of Romania. Oh, man. But even so much of uh, Christian Europe supported his strong, if not brutal, defense of Romania from various incursions from the Muslim Ottoman forces. In fact, Pope Pius II expressed admiration for um, for the violent ruler's military accomplishments. I mean, I can get it because the Christ- Christianity, you know, we had the Crusades, there, there have been a lot of really yeah. awful things done in the name of religion. Yeah. Well, a threat to Europe was deemed a threat to Christendom, and therefore it was a threat to the Pope. Mm. Though the real Dracula uh, brought some stability and protection to the vulnerable region, Vlad III was still deemed to relish his own brutality. He, he enjoyed it. So yeah. was he like, would we classify him as a mass murderer? Probably. He was pretty sadistic. It sounds yeah. pretty sadistic. During one of his successful campaigns against the Ottoman Turks in 1462, Vlad wrote the following to one of his allies. I have killed peasants, men and women, old and young, who lived at Abluza and Novoselo, where the Danube flows into the sea. We killed 23,884 Turks without counting those whom we burned in homes or the Turks whose heads were cut off by our soldiers. Thus, your highness, you must know that I have broken the peace. Wait, wait, wait. 
23,884. I guess they kept pretty good records. I was going to say, that is a very specific number. How would you like to be that guy that had to go through and count all the dead Turks? Well, the Turks gave him the nickname, the Impaling Prince. Mm -hmm. Impaling people was without a doubt Vlad's murder method of choice. Kids and those of you out there with a weak stomach, you should probably turn down the volume, leave the room, or fast forward for about a minute. Yeah. To impale somebody, we're going to talk about how they impale yes. people. To impale somebody, a wooden or metal pole would be jabbed through <gasps> the body, starting either in the rectum or the vagina, Ooh. and then slowly pierced through the body until it came out the mm-hmm. victim's mouth, shoulders, or neck. They would literally skewer you yeah. through the butt. Now, they also figured out they could round the pole so that it would go through the body without puncturing any internal organs. So what that did, it prolonged the victim's life and the victim's torture, which was their ultimate goal. In these particularly gruesome cases, uh, it could take hours or even days for a victim to die. The victims would often be put on public display for everyone to watch. Oh, gosh. People were so brutal back in the day. Like, you think about the Romans and crucifixion and... The, you know, impaling, oh, God, people are so, and it makes me wonder, like, years from now, you know, hundreds and thousands of years from now, will people look at us in the way that we, um, you know, even lethal injection and stuff, the way that we punish our criminals, will they look at it as inhumane and what other ways are they going to come, we humans going to come up with killing people? I don't know. Hmm. In one case, he impaled the uh, the Saxon merchants in Kronstadt who were once allied with his family's killers. I mean, I mean, he's getting revenge right here. Good for him. Vlad the Impeller used these brutal methods to punish and kill anyone who displeased or threatened him, though it wasn't the only way he dispensed his cruelty. At one point, he had the turbans of Ottoman diplomats nailed onto their skulls after they declined to remove them for religious reasons. You know, he could have used them as a hammock, I guess. He could have. Probably. He could have used him as a hammock. We will explain hammock at the end of the show. Mm. Vlad's appetite for violence often surpassed the bloodlust of his enemies. Sultan Mehmed II, who in his own right was known for his own atrocities, was taken back after seeing the decaying corpses of about 23,000 of his men lined up on stakes for miles. Some say as many as 60 miles around the capital when he invaded Romania in 1462. This is some... Hardcore stuff. Yeah, he. Yeah. Yeah. So the Sultan said, How can we despoil of his estates a man who is not afraid to defend it by such means as these? Mimad said, Deciding that anyone willing to go to such lengths to save his kingdom deserved to keep it. (laughs) The Ottoman forces retreated the next day. Moral of the story, kids if you don't want somebody to break into your yard, set a bunch of dead bodies on spikes all around it. Yeah. (laughs) I would venture to say Vlad's brutal methods. Uh, were effective and stopped the fighting right then. Right. Yeah. Hey, he made the sultan chicken out and leave and go back home. Yeah, and this was a pretty hardcore sultan too. Yeah. Like he didn't mess yeah. around either. Yeah. So there, there are a lot of stories like this. Some accounts of Vlad's doings claim that Vlad killed eighty thousand people during his reign, impaling more than twenty three thousand of them, as we said. But it's difficult to know for sure how many people. He truly slaughtered. Especially because it's, you mentioned that he just killed people that pissed him off. So yeah. if you were one of his servants and like you didn't get his dinner fast enough or empty, empty his chamber pot often enough, like did, did you risk certain death? I, 
Maybe. I would imagine so. He seems like that kind of a guy. I wouldn't want to work for him. I wouldn't either. His bloody reign ended in 1462 when Hungarian forces took him prisoner. Ooh. Yeah. The Ottomans had launched a campaign to replace Vlad with his milder brother, Radu. So I guess Radu is still alive. Okay. Yeah, so he, he's there. Okay. Uh, in turn, I guess I just forgot about that part. In turn, Vlad went to the Hungarians thinking that they'd help solidify his hold on the throne. But not wanting to risk war with the Ottomans, the Hungarians had uh, Vlad imprisoned. Poor Vlad, he can't catch a break. Little's known about Vlad's imprisonment during this time. But according to uh, a Turkish newspaper, uh, the Hurriyet Daily News, archaeologists working on the restoration of Tokat Castle in northern Turkey had discovered two dungeons where the Ottomans held Vlad the Impeller hostage. Hmm. So I can't help it. So over the weekend, we watched uh, Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, and I just keep imagining the Christopher Walken Headless Horseman character with his razor-sharp teeth just riding through and killing everybody. And I don't know. He seems yeah. very intense. In 1476, he was released and married a, uh, a young lady. She was, name a was really hard to say. Yeah. She, Justina, so I'm just not going to say it. Justina and it's, something Romanian. It's written in Cyrillic, so there's no need for <laughs> me to try to pronounce it. She was a relative of the Hungarian king. Well, now here. Here we know how I to I would say this. Matthias, but they're probably saying Matthias uh, Corvinus, who made an arrangement with Vlad to restore him to his throne after Radu had been removed. However, Vlad died in battle alongside the Hungarians, who were now at war with the Ottomans later that year. Again, Appropriate. Again, this stuff just reminds me it, of Game of Thrones. Does it, it or does it not? Does yeah. It, okay. Oh, it's very much Game of Thrones. Yeah, like building partnerships and allies. Yeah, and I love that he died getting, in battle, though. I think that's what he would have wanted. He probably didn't want to die at all. Well, no. But if you have to go, I guess that would <laughs> be a good way for him to go. Um, legend has it that he suffered the same ill fate as his old rival, Vladislav II. As the story goes, Vlad the Impeller was beheaded in battle and his head was paraded back to Constantinople and placed in the hands of his enemy, Sultan Mehmed II, to be displayed over the city gates. Mm. His remains have never been found. So that is the story of Vlad the Impeller. Now, it took a lot of... uh, a lot of different sites to go through to try to piece all that together. I mean, there there are sites, and you can get stuff, but try to throw it all in. Yeah. I, had, I had to go to several different sites to get as much of that as we can. Yeah. But we we may or may not get to an hour today. Um, this might be a little bit of a shorter show, but that's okay. Um, so did, the, did, did Bram Stoker ever, uh, did he ever sleep in a hammock, do you know? Um, I don't know if he ever slept in a hammock. He might have. Okay. That's a possibility. So we're going to talk about um, Bram Stoker right now. He, of course, of um, he's the one who made Dracula famous, um, <laughs> right? Uh, when he wrote his iconic novel, the original preface, which was published in the Icelandic version of the story, included this passage, quote, I am quite convinced that there is no doubt whatever that the events here described really took place, however unbelievable and incomprehensible they might appear at first sight. And I am further convinced that they must always remain to some extent incomprehensible. He went on to claim that many of the characters in his novel were real people. Quote again, 
All the people who have willingly or unwillingly played a part in this remarkable story are known generally and well-respected. Both Jonathan Harker and his wife, who is a woman of character, and Dr. Seward are my friends and have been so for many years, and I have never doubted that they were telling the truth. So in other words, the Dracula story, not not the Vlad Dracul story, we know that's true, but the Dracula story is actually originally meant to be a true one. In 1890, Stoker did some intensive research using a text called The Accounts of Principalities of Wallachia and Moldavia, which was written by the British diplomat William Wilkinson. Um, If you can find it, good luck. Uh, It was a very rare book in 1890. Um, It was a little bit hard to find, but he kind of knew what he was looking for. He knew where to find the book. Uh, It was in the reference section at the library. By the hammocks? By the hammocks. No, they don't sell hammocks at the library. Ugh. He also reviewed a series of maps and he pieced together a route beginning in the heart of London and ending upon a mountaintop deep within the wilds of Romania, a latitude and longitude previously noted in his journal and confirmed again that are, it's accurate to this very day. Like you can go to the place where these, the events of Dracula, the story are alleged to have happened. It gives you the latitude and longitude. So he did his research and educated himself. Of course he did. Probably from the comfort of his hammock. Members of the Royal Coast Guard confirmed accounts that a real ship called the Dimitri had sailed with crates of earth from the Eastern European port of Varna. Whoa. It had run aground and allegedly a large black dog jumped from the hull of the ship and ran into a nearby graveyard. Now, and this is the stuff legends are made of. You might remember this dog from last year's cryptid episode. So for those who have forgotten, or if you missed that one, there is a legendary black doll, dog called the Barguest that is alleged to live in northern England. Supposedly, if you see the dog, which is actually a goblin, clearly, then death is imminent. But if you only catch a glimpse, you're safe, but only for a few months at best. And the ship, the Dimitri, you might recognize that name if you've ever read the Dracula story, only in that tale, it was called the Demeter. Both the dog and the ship are in the novel, along with the Count, whose original name was Wampir, and later Dracula. It's also speculated that Dracul doesn't necessarily mean dragon, but that it's more closely translated to devil or demon. So the fact that Vlad the Impaler was part of the family of um, a Christian group gave him the title of Vlad Dracul is almost like a Christian group calling him Vlad the Demon or Vlad the Devil. So it's very, it's very telling, I think. Anyway, that original text that I mentioned at the very beginning that was written, uh, published in Iceland, it's missing or at least part of it is missing. Now, when the original Dracula novel came out, there had recently been a spate of murders in the Whitechapel area of London caused by... Jack? Your favorite! Steve loves Jack the Ripper. I love Jack the Ripper stories. Anyway, uh, so Bram Stoker's editor thought that it was probably... We should have done Jack the Ripper. It's not too late. Yeah, but everyone does Jack the Ripper. It, yeah, that's okay. that's probably true. Uh, so Bram Stoker's editor thought that since Jack the Ripper was out and about, out and about, 
and uh, and still murdering people, that Dracula, as written, was probably a little too close to reality. This editor's name, I love this. His name is Otto Kilman. How great of a name is that? For, for a, a guy that, show? Right, yeah. yes. Oh, I love his name. K-Y-L-L-M-A-N. Otto Kilman. So he was afraid that um, as written, Dracula would generate mass hysteria because Jack the Ripper was still out wandering around. And, um, you know, it's Dracula in its original form was pretty violent and gruesome and uh, and it he just didn't want it out there. If you could see us, I mean, it's hard to sit here and talk in the microphone with like your hands in your laps and killing <laughs> We're our gesturing both all over very the place. Uh, <laughs> vocal with our hands as we talk. <laughs> But it helps keep focused, I think. I guess. Anyway. Anyway, when the novel was finally published in 1897, the first 101 pages had been cut, tens of thousands of words had been altered, and the work was published as fiction, which was not Stoker's intention whatsoever. He meant it as more of a warning than anything. Mm. Now... In the 1980s, the original Dracula manuscript was discovered in a barn in rural northwestern Pennsylvania. No, How did it get there? Did, nobody did knows. Did John Smith bring it with him? Nobody knows. Nobody knows how it made its way across the Atlantic. But in a boat, probably. Well, yeah, probably. That manuscript begins on page 102, and it's now owned by Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen. Hmm, I wonder what it's worth. I don't know, but it makes me sad that he owns it, and it's not like at the Library of Congress or something. Hmm. Uh, so Jonathan Harker's journey on a train, once thought to be the beginning of the story, is actually right in the middle, in the thick of the story. So all of the true stuff about the the um, coffins coming over on the Demeter and the black dog and all of that stuff, they Otto Kilman didn't want any of that in there. So it's almost like my favorite Type of reading, like, historical fiction. But it's not fiction. Some of it is. Mm. However, there was a first edition of the original text recently discovered in Iceland, as I mentioned before. The original preface that I read from is still there, along with bits of the original story, which presumably was allowed to remain intact because it was out of the reach of the British publisher. There's also a short story called Dracula's Guest that has some of the original story, and we also have Stoker's Journals and other first editions, which have little different pieces. And if you go to our Facebook page, you can actually find a copy of some of those notes to peruse at your leisure. I posted a link to Bram Stoker's actual journal um, that I found, and, uh, and you can actually try to decipher his handwritten notes. And if you can't decipher them, somebody else has already done the work for you. Okay, so side note here. Kim yeah. got so frustrated and tired of Facebook, Kim deleted her Facebook account. <laughs> With that, so did all the good postings on Facebook for an, an hour of your life. Yeah, I was kind I of have, a PR person. I have, so. I have recently convinced Kim, no, it is not a joint Facebook account, but I have recently convinced Kim to log on to my account yeah. and go just the way Facebook works. So it has if to be you, tied to 
yeah. another page. So if you previously followed us on Facebook and you noticed that like we just kind of disappeared, it's because I deleted my Facebook account. We still had an active Instagram presence because I still have an active Instagram no, I, account. I posted each week, but I didn't post all the cool stuff that you did. Okay. Well, the cool stuff will be returning because now I have access. Because now we're sharing a Facebook account. But we're not really sharing a Facebook account. I literally <laughs> am only going to get on there for an hour of your life because Facebook is the true devil in this situation and made me want to stab my eyes out. Anyway, so maybe after election season, because we everyone kick back in a hammock. Oh, and I did see the funniest relax. meme I've seen. It made me laugh so hard. It said, uh, "People who believe memes are the same people that think the stripper at the club likes them." <laughs> <laughs> so mm. <laughs> that's that's my take on memes. I guess you had to be there. Yeah, well, it made me laugh till I cried. Oh well. Anyway, uh, it doesn't take much to make you cry sometimes. Anyway. So, um, if you want to go to our Facebook page, uh, I don't know if it's posted yet. I scheduled the posting. Uh, I think it comes out, actually, it should be coming out like right now um, as we're recording. It's 6.58 p.m. I think it's coming out. So, if you go to our Facebook page, then you can find the link to um, Bram Stoker's journals and read all about uh, the things that he was writing down as he was writing the novel. So like I said at the beginning, you're you're getting ready to move into vampire lore. Mm-hmm. So Vlad the Impaler basically inspired Dracula. Mm-hmm. And Dracula has now inspired vampire lore yeah. all across the globe. Absolutely. And this it, it, it's just how all this is taken like it, yeah. it's I mean people argue well, the only way to kill a vampire is this way. Yeah, and it's yeah. so interesting every culture uh, like across the world and across time has had some kind of blood sucking monster um, in its culture. So uh, vampires and their lore kind of depend on where and when you are. Um, so our vampires now are, you know, we've got <laughs> in the post twilight era, we have different vampires than they had like in um, the middle ages. Uh, you probably have heard of some famous vampires like Elizabeth, Countess Elizabeth Bathory. Uh, she was famous for uh, believing that the blood of young women would keep her looking young. And so she would hire on young girls to be her servants and then she would murder them and bathe in their blood. That's why I say this has inspired so much stuff. Like, like So yeah. there may not be a true supernatural vampire, but there are people who are out there... Doing stuff in the name of Dracula. Or yeah, his. well, and even still today, um, even with Elizabeth Bathory, like there are still people today, famous Hollywood starlets will get something called a vampire facial where they go to, um, uh, I think it's like a plastic surgeon or an esthetician, and so, they use their own blood. Like they have their own blood withdrawn, and then they smear it on their face, and apparently it has some kind of... I don't know, healing, whatever, whatever. I don't know. So Rupert, when he goes to the uh, to the groomer, which is called Doggy Styles, <laughs> Rupert gets a blueberry facial. He does. He and needs he to go it. to the groomer. He's a little shaggy right now. He's sitting over there looking at me. He just winked at me. Hey, buddy. All right. Um, now, the two things that vampires have in common all over the place is that one, they drink blood, and typically they get that blood by means of sharp fangs. Now, some vampires, yeah. Some vampires have retractable fangs. Some vampires have fangs all the time. Some vampires only their eye teeth are their fangs. Some of them just have sharp teeth all over the place. In ancient tales, blood drinking was pretty much relegated to demons and spirits. 
And the Persians are generally thought to be the first civilizations to have these tales. We have found pictures of vampires on ancient Mesopotamian um, pottery and stuff. And so like it's a, vampires are a very, very old concept. The character of Lilith is generally thought to be the first quote-unquote human vampire. Uh, she, Lilith, of course, is the alleged first wife of Adam, um, she refused to be subordinate and was kicked out of the Garden of Eden in the Christian and Jewish tradition. Um, and then she was replaced by Eve. In some traditions, Lilith became a queen of the demons. And in others, she's a chimera, which is basically um, a chimera is when you mix up two different um, two different animals and you get a third animal. Like a, a chimera. Like a liger. Like a kind of. Um, a beefalo. Uh, yeah, yeah, kind of. Think more in terms of like a like a um, like a harpy. You know, it's got the face, the head of a woman, and the like the head and chest of a woman, and like the body of a bird. Like that guy, or that's got the, a centaur. Like on the uh, commercials. On the commercial, right now, that's where the like guys half there and motorcycle and half, 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 half yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, that's a chimera. Okay. Um, and so Lilith, in some in some cultures, she's a chimera. Um who drinks the blood of babies and their mothers or the blood of young men. We actually have so a picture. She's, she's not particular then. Uh, I mean, she's a little particular. Um, we actually have a picture of um, La Hyuga hanging up in the studio. Um, she is kind of a version of the uh, Mexican version of Lilith. Where? So, right there. Oh, okay. Done by the lovely Sam Farkas. Um, so you should, you should look Sam up on on the internet and buy some of her stuff. Anyway. Um, oh, and look, just, just to be clear, I knew that picture was there. I didn't know what it was. It's, well, now you know. Okay. Um, in the 18th century, interestingly, there were a lot of vampire sightings in Europe. Hmm. Uh, and so this is generally the time that the vampires that we know and love started to take shape. So we've kind of transitioned away from the demons um, and the crazy Lilith figure uh, who eats babies and, and, drinks to, their blood. and drinks their blood. And young mothers and young men. Yes. Um, the vampires apparently don't like old people. But did they? Did she sleep on a hammock? I don't know. She might have slept in a hammock. Okay. She probably just slept on the ground, though. Or maybe she didn't sleep at all. I don't know. So what are the rules of vampirism? Do you know any of the vampire rules? And this is what is fascinating to me, how this is all... I don't want to say figments of imagination, but it all came from the minds of people and how it's just taken as gospel right now. Yeah. This is how it actually this is. This is what vampires are. Yeah. So I mean, what do you argue about this stuff? What do you when you when I say vampire, what are the rules that you think of? Don't look at my notes. Don't look I at the notes. I don't want to I don't want to do any spoiler alerts. No, I think I'm curious. Just what do you think they, of when you come to vampires? They, they can only be killed like by a stake through the heart. Okay. They can't be they can't see their image in a mirror. Okay. And they can turn into bats. Okay. And sometimes other animals, but okay. mostly it's turned into bats. All right. And they are undead. Okay. Basically, they, they live forever and they just roam the earth and they need blood to stay alive. And they're generally, in all the traditional ones, they're very, like the male vampires are very uh, stately. They're always like in a tuxedo and... Mm. I mean, they've acquired a lot of wealth over the years. And sure. They have to return every night to sleep in their coffin of dirt mm. from their home, from oh, their okay. homes, you know, from their hometown, their home state. Okay. And let's see, what else is the last thing that I really know about vampires? 
I like that they have to sleep in a box of their home state dirt. So like, I wonder what would happen if you were a vampire from Ohio and somebody tried to put you in a box full of Michigan dirt. I don't know. <laughs> would you but, like just die right then? Yeah. I guess the other thing is they don't like light. They, they, oh, yeah. they, they okay. burn and, and holy water. If they're sprinkled with holy water and a crucifix, you can hold a cross or a crucifix up to them and that burns them and they're afraid of that and they can't take it. Okay. So that, that's what I know about vampires. Okay. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, some of that. All right. We can talk about some yeah, of that. They, they don't sleep in hammocks. They sleep in a box with their- A, a coffin. Their, yeah. Yeah. Or a box from oh, their okay. dirt from their home- No hammocks. Their hometown. No okay. hammocks. All right. So um, the rules of vampirism, and we can talk about- So if there's something that I leave off, mention it again, and we'll, we'll kind of talk about that, because I'm not an expert in vampire, but I you know have spent a lot more time in the horror community than Steve has, so I know a little bit more about them. Uh, every vampire was once a human. Like these are our modern vampires. So not the old school Lilith vampires. There were actually daughters of Lilith, allegedly, who um, basically like were the OG vampires. Also, while we're on the subject, uh, we watched a really good movie the other night called He Never Died with Henry Rollins. Um, it's kind of a vampire movie and it's really good. So if you... He was undead. He was undead. Um I guess if yeah, you mean yeah, undead yeah, yeah. as in he never died, which is the title of the movie, then yeah. yeah, he was undead. You should really check it out. It was a really interesting take on something. It was funny. Too. On, it was, it was really good. Anyway. So every vampire was once a human and they become vampires by being bitten by another vampire. Often, uh, and I'm going to call him the parent vampire makes a new vampire by having that person drink their blood thereby differentiating between a meal and a family member. A snack. Well, no, not even a snack. It's like if a vampire has to want to intentionally make you a vampire, you can't accidentally, unless, well, you don't usually accidentally make somebody a vampire. You either drain them of their blood or you drink a little bit of their blood and they drink a little bit of your blood and then they become a vampire. Um, But if you drain them of their blood, then they're just dead. Uh, vampires are usually highly sexualized, whether they be male or female. Um, and I think that kind of takes away a little bit of the humanity of them. Like they are more animalistic. They, they just want to kind of breed. Um, and so some of the human restraint and sensibilities, um, are taken away. Uh, they can usually shapeshift. Um, usually it's a bat, but they can also become black cats or maybe like the bar guest, a large black dog or a wolf. Um, you said, you mentioned they are immortal, but they can be killed by a wooden stake to the heart. Yep. They can be killed by fire. They can be killed by beheading or they can be killed by direct sunlight. I'm not sure how the mirror thing would work. Well, I know vampires they, they can't don't have see souls. themselves. They say they don't have souls. So they can't see themselves. No, they can't see themselves in a mirror. Allegedly, um, they must. Well, no one can. But but I'm saying like direct sunlight though. Like that's if why you, Dracula didn't have a, any mirrors in his castle. Right, but but my what I was saying is um, they have to be killed by direct sunlight. So like if you shined a light, like shined the mirror and the sunlight bounced off the mirror and hit the vampire, that's not really. Is that count as direct sunlight? Because it bounced I, off the mirror. I don't know. I I never heard that. It was I've always just heard and read that it's they don't have souls, so they don't have an image to reflect. No, no, no. I know. I'm okay. talking about killing them with sunlight. 
I'm not no, talking the about only, one, only vampires I've ever seen killed. They've caught outside in the day. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, they don't like, it doesn't kill them, but they don't like crucifixes. They don't like holy water it and they don't them. like garlic. Garlic. I forgot garlic. about garlic. Yeah, they don't like it. Um, if a vampire comes to your house, they must be invited in. So if you want to stay safe, don't ever invite somebody into your house that so you don't you know. So can you just put a sign out, no vampires allowed? Um, I mean, I guess you could. We should, we should put that. We don't have any Halloween decorations up yet. We should <laughs> put a sign in our yard that says no vampires allowed. Um, so yeah, you have to invite them in. You can't see them in a mirror or in some cases in more modern vampires, you can't see them in photos either. Um, and although, uh, let's see, what were some of the other ones that, that you mentioned? Let's see. I said they have to sleep in, uh, oh, the yeah. dirt from their, I said from their state and you laughed at me. <laughs> um, they have to sleep in, it's not from where they are from. It is where they were created as a vampire. So, um, if you, let, let's go back to my Ohio, Michigan analogy. If you were um, a Buckeye up north and you had the misfortune of being turned into a vampire um, at the OSU Michigan game. And then you would need to sleep in a box of Michigan dirt for the rest of eternity. Other, well, I don't know what happens if you don't sleep in your, in the dirt of where you, I guess you don't sleep and you weaken. I happen to like the state of Michigan, maybe not their football team, right? But yes. I'll tell you what, folks. If you travel through Michigan, we, have, we have a great love for the Upper Peninsula. Yeah, and basically, once you get north of Flint, Michigan, it's desolate up there. And then, yeah. the further north you go, I, the more desolate. It even runs out of cell service after a while. So I am going to go out on a limb here, and if you live in the UP and you take issue with what I have to say, then please write to me and let me know. But in my mind. The UP is not Michigan. Kind of like we've talked about no, Bavaria. It's the UP. It's the UP. Kind of like Bavaria in Germany. They're, they're Upers. Like the Freistadt of Bavaria in yeah. Germany. Like yeah. technically it's a part of Michigan, but they're not Michigan. They, they, they don't claim to be Michigan. They they're claim, Upers. They're, they're Upers. And I, the I, pasties. I'm, yes, I'm a big fan of the UP, Michigan. I'm not a big fan of the pasty though. I am not a big fan of the mitten, but I'm a big fan of the UP. Anyway. Um, so although we don't really have scientific evidence that vampires exist, we do have documented medical conditions that mimic some of the symptoms of vampirism. Uh, porphyria is a rare disease that's characterized by irregularities in production of heme, which um, is an iron-rich pigment in blood. And you actually, um, heme has been in the news over the last couple of years because if you are familiar with the Impossible Burger, the heme is what they harvest from plants as well to, um, to make all living things have heme in them. Uh, it, it produces iron. And uh, so even plants have heme. And so they harvest the heme part to make burgers taste more like burgers. So do my cast iron skillets. Uh, I don't think your cast iron skeletons have heme in them, but people with more severe forms of um, porphyria are highly sensitive to sunlight. They experience severe abdominal pain and may suffer from acute delirium. One possible treatment for porphyria in the past might have been to drink blood to correct the imbalance in the body, although there is not really any clear evidence of this. But so that could be part of where the vampirism myth comes from. Some porphyria sufferers do have reddish mouths and teeth due to the irregular production of the heme pigment, and it's hereditary, so there may have been concentrations of sufferers in certain areas throughout history. 
Catalepsy is another peculiar physical condition that's associated with epilepsy, schizophrenia, and other disorders that affect the central nervous system. And during a cataleptic episode, a person generally freezes up, the muscles become rigid so that the body is very stiff, and the heart rate and respiration slow down. So someone suffering from acute catalepsy could very well be mistaken for a corpse, and catalepsy is part of the reason why you have heard in the old stories where they have a bell above um, the the grave. The grave, because if you are in a cataleptic coma or whatever else, then you wake up and you ring the bell and you're saved. See, the first thing I thought of was a possum. Oh when, yeah, when they play possum, is that related to this? Do you know? I don't know, but I don't think so because catalepsy is not something that you can control. Um, I've actually seen somebody having a cataleptic seizure, and it's really scary. Hmm. Um, it it you it's not that uncommon. It's a little unusual. Um, it was but enough for them to put a bell on their grave. Yeah, yeah. Uh, catalepsy is not super uncommon. It's just a, another form of a seizure. Um, and instead of the jerking motions that we usually associate with a seizure, the person it's like you might have heard it called a staring seizure where the person's face and their body just goes slack and they just stare straight ahead. And it, it is really scary to watch. Um, but so that could be, you know, that's kind of a vampiric mimicking death behavior. Um, the behavior of actual corpses might've suggested vampirism as well, because after death, uh, your fingernails and your hair often appear to continue appear growing, to appear continue. to continue growing, but they're not actually growing. It's just the surrounding skin is receding. So it gives the impression of life. Um, so, and gases in the body expand, which kind of extends the abdomen as if the body has gorged itself. Um, so you, I mean, you've seen it with dead animals on the side of the road as they start to decompose, they get bloated and gross. And so, if you were to stake a decomposing corpse to the point they pop, yeah, it could very well rupture and drain all sorts of fluids. So that could be taken as evidence that the corpse had been feeding on the living. Now, in the 1970s, people actually began. Rupert, be quiet. We're doing a show. Rupert's having a good time over there. Anyway. <sighs> In the 1970s, people began forming their own real vampiric covens or families and drinking the blood of willing victims. So most of these covens, uh, you can still find them today. Most of them are found in the Deep South, especially in New Orleans. Is huge. I would say New Orleans is probably ground, Grand Central, at least for um, United States of vampiric activity, maybe even worldwide. Um, they're consen- these are consensual relationships between vampire and victim, quote unquote victim, and they're typically so- governed by something called the Donor Bill of Rights. And so I'm going to read a little bit of this Donor Bill of Rights. Um, this is the New Orleans Vampire Association, uh, their Donor Bill of Rights. Um, so uh, it was written to, at the top it says, this Bill of Rights is to promote the continued safety of the most precious of gifts to us, their life essence. It is suggested that this be signed by both the vampire and the donor on a 30, 60, 90 day trial basis. After this, the contract can be re-signed for an extended period of time, which can either be the 30, 60, 90 or six months to one year. At the end of these contracts, discussions can be made as to whether or not changes should be done, what will be allowed and what will not be allowed. There are a lot of rules. Um, Well, there's 10 rules, but they're pretty, um, they're also translated into Danish, which is kind of unusual. Uh, So the 10 rules 
um, of the New Orleans Vampire Association, the Donor Bill of Rights. One, as a donor, I know that it is through my personal sacrifice that the vampire's needs are met. It is my loving nature that allows this relationship to continue. It is my right to decline to feed the vampire for any reason. Now, before we get any more into this, um, I should note that the people who practice modern day vampirism like this truly, not all of them, but a lot of them truly believe that they need the blood to survive. Um, yeah, I know. It's, I know. Uh, whether or not they have developed some kind of an addiction to a chemical compound, in the, I don't know, but, but they really truly believe that they need it. Two, as a donor to a vampiric being, it is my right to know that I am in a vampiric donor relationship that will be mutually beneficial to both me and the vampire I am donating my life essence to. I don't know how it benefits the donor because I'm not a vampire donor, but uh, I'm the essence provider. It is for me to decide whether or not I'm able to give my essence to the vampire I'm with. I must be allotted time to heal and regain my essence in order to better support my vampiric partner. At no time should my wounds not be allowed to heal. Uh, at no time should I feel stressed about giving up my essence. I have the right to walk away from the feed if I do. Um, should I feel threatened in any way, shape, or form, I have the right to seek guidance and counsel. Um, I have the right to know that my position should not be jeopardized by not wanting to give my essence as a donor i should also respect the needs of the vampire and try to learn more about his or her feeding habits in order to help stabilize their imbalances in energy um i realize that i have many necessary rights i must take care as not to abuse the person i'm donating to uh and ultimately it's my right to know that i'll be safe in all aspects of the vampiric donor relationship and should I ever have the uh, feel that my safety is jeopardized, I have the right to walk away clear and free. So, the New Orleans Vampire Association, ladies and gentlemen. Well, okay. So, that's vampires today. They, they walk among us, and most of them live in New Orleans. Let's go back just a little bit to Count or uh, Vlad. Okay. The Bron Castle is Dracula's castle. It is a real place. It's located in Romania in Transylvania. Mm. And the, we mentioned, too, that you can find the latitude and longitude. Yeah. The Bran Castle sited at the entrance to uh, the Bron Passage. It's on the road connecting Brasov to Campolong, and it's overtowered by the peaks of the Busiga and the Piatra <laughs> Friuli Mountains <laughs> ran is less than 30 kilometers from Brasov when following the National Route 73, which leaves Brasov by its west end through the Bartomolu district. The distance to Bucharest is less than 200 kilometers. Right. Now, you can go there. I hear it's beautiful. There, Yeah, it's, um, it's a tourist attraction now. There's a restaurant. They hold many different events. I think you can even pay to... Spend the night to get a Dracula experience in there. Ooh. It's it's a really popular tourist attraction, and um, but before you go, I would call first to see what they got going on because of COVID. As I was looking through their website, it had a lot of cautions and a lot of that's even scarier than vampires that, that, that aren't, aren't happening right now. Yeah, uh, I would love to go visit there, except I'm afraid that it would be one of those things that like you go like Salem. I was really kind of disappointed with Salem because there were so many touristy things and but this is a not castle. as many historical things. But this is a castle. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. So I mean, what I find interesting in all this, it started off with Vlad. 
Mm. And that is just now you have the Vampire Donor Bill of Rights. Yeah, and it's it's where people have taken this and have gone through it. And I've read and I've seen like on not movies but documentaries, things like that, where mm-hmm. people argue, no, you really can't kill a vampire. Like <laughs> like they're speaking with some sort of authority here. Yeah, that, yeah, like yeah. It's it's weird to me. You can kill a vampire in battle. That's how Vlad died. Yeah, well, okay. So, that wraps up this episode of Vlad the Impaler. Yes, sir. Vampires, Bram Stoker, and Vampire Lore. Um, got an exciting show coming up next week? I have no idea what it is yet. Okay, so should we go ahead? Hammock, 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 hammock. Hammock, 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 hammock. We will not mention the names, but we do have some people who said they would... I don't. We must so, mention okay. a hammock. We, yeah. mu- we must mention hammock or something At on a some previous point, episode. In a previous episode, we were talking, it must have been a summer episode, about how I want I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was that I wanted to get a hammock to put outside in the in the yard or whatever. And we spent apparently quite a bit of time talking about it. And so... Someone is playing a drinking game right now. Every time we say hammock, they are they taking have to a take drink. A, they have to take a drink. Yeah. Uh, and so... You know who you are. Uh, you are if you are playing. Uh, you're probably slightly inebriated at the moment. Hammock, 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 hammock. Okay. Uh, if you would like to play this game with your friends, um, get them to listen to the show, and you guys can play the drinking game, the hammock drinking game. So if someone had a question, or they want to look us up, or they wanted to send us a good email. You, we don't want any hate mail or anything like that. No, we but don't like how, that how, how do they find us, Kim? Uh, you can email us at alosthour at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook um, at an hour of your life. And you can find us on the Twitter at a lost hour. Uh, although, honestly, we have like two followers on Twitter. So I really don't post that much on there. Most of our followers are on our Instagram and on Facebook, which is the best way to find us. Yeah. Or send us emails. We really love. We really do love hearing from you. And we write back. We do. Yeah, we write back. Yeah, we're not that famous yet that we won't write back to you. Yeah, we're yeah we're not there yet. So if uh, on it. look, the best way you can help us become famous because that is our ultimate goal here. Uh, totally. Totally <laughs> is to share us with a friend, share us to family. Um, you know, just uh, if if you're following us on Facebook, just hit the share button. Yeah. And tell people, hey, I listen to this show. It's really we like it. They talk about a lot of really interesting things. Um, so, speaking of really interesting things, we are taking requests. Um, we have a couple of shows lined up for uh, November, but if there's something that you want us to research for you because you don't have the time to look it up yourself, send us, let us know, and we would love to take on your requests because we, we do this. Um, we, you know, It's a hobby, and we love doing it, but we do it to entertain you guys, so we want to talk about what you want to hear. All right. So anything else? Uh, no, I think I'm going to go research some hammocks and... Yeah, okay, as soon as I do this, we're going to go and I'll check out hammocks and stuff like that, but whatever. So, from our studios in Bellbrook, Ohio... Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us. This week's sources include history, 
Peter Presker, HistoryHit.com, AllThat'sInteresting.com, the New Orleans Vampire Association, The Atlantic, How Stuff Works, and Time Magazine. Also, All That's Interesting, HistoryHit.com, Peter Wait, Presker. I already said all that. You did? Yeah. Well, I started at the bottom. Oh. Go back and fix Go that. back. I want to go get in my hammock. 